everyone, welcome to episode 51 of Fish Across the Pond, a Marlins UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and for this episode, I am delighted to welcome back the Godfather. Yes, the Godfather, Danny Martinez. Danny, how are we? Oh, we're doing good. We're surviving in these weird times. We're making the best of it that we can. Absolutely. Crazy times. Um, last time we spoke, it was early August 2019. A lot has gone on in you know, just under a year for sure. So um, first off, you're keeping well and the family's well, right? We are. We are. So I think the last time that we spoke, I was just coming back, should have been coming back from my honeymoon. And uh, since then, as you said, a lot of things have changed. My wife and I, although really probably just my wife, is actually pregnant. So if uh, anyone follows us on Twitter, you know, I released a little gender reveal. Uh, it's a boy video. The Marlins were actually great. They retweeted it and sent a, a few things my way. And um, yeah, so a lot of things have changing the world and also in my family unit over here in South Florida. <laughs> awesome, I did. <laughs> Firstly, congratulations. So I need, I need to say that to, to, to you and your wife. It's awesome news. Um, I, I do need to comment on that video. Now you've reminded me of it. I actually <laughs> um, just talk me through that and the, and the swing and uh, the contact that, that was made on that one. Yeah. So uh, we obviously had to do a little social distancing video. Um, couldn't have any family around. Her family is, is in Trinidad anyway. So that would have been a little difficult to manage. But we decided to do that video pre-recorded. I was honest with her. I said, I do not want to be live on a Zoom link with your 50 million family members in Trinidad. And then like, I missed the pitch or, you know, it's not, it's not a good contact or whatever the case is. So we did in fact pre-record it. We went to my backyard, set up a little tripod there, um, set up the camera and it was just one take. That's all we had. We go. had a backup with like an American football if the baseball didn't work. Uh, she practiced, you know, the little lob that she gave me a few times. I think I made pretty good contact on that, if I'm being honest. I, I hit it right on the barrel, right on the sweet spot. Um, if you look at the video, a piece of it actually goes and almost hits my wife directly in the face. So she kind of does a little uh, step back and, uh, and then you just see the powder blue and us, us being very excited, obviously. There we go. Also, it was an awesome video, mate. And uh, yeah, I, I, I particularly enjoyed that, that yeah, there was an almost... Uh, yeah, there was debris flying everywhere. And Emily, Emily could have been taken out and with that one. And yeah, but good, good contact, mate. And equally, a future Marlin, perhaps. So, yeah, watch this Absolutely. space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jason Latimer, he said that he was going to have the, the contract ready for us. So I'm going to keep his word to it. Awesome. I tell you, all of a sudden, you've got, you know, let's play this out. <clears throat> you've got, you know, your, your little one coming, um, you know, later this year. Miggy's, mm -hmm. Miggy's little boy is maybe, what, three now? Um, I, I kind of lose track of maybe how old Miggy's little boy is, but all of a sudden there's, you know, there's a little nucleus of a few Marlins, I think, there. So, yeah, watch, watch this space. But congrats again. And, um, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun time, no doubt. And just, you know, in the, in the past few months, how have you been keeping busy, you know, without baseball and, and baseball to watch and enjoy? Goodness gracious, I've gotten very accustomed to my home. Um, you know, I, I, I'm working too, of course, but, you know, without being able to go to restaurants and being able to really socialize, we have, you know, looked over every nook and cranny of this place. Um, the, the reality is I, I've been able to catch up on some Netflix series, right? I've been able to do some research for my own work and some my, my own uh, line of business, but I think I've just dove in right back into baseball, to be honest. I know it's not on our TVs. I know we can't actually see it, but it's given us some time to assess, right? Like the Marlins farm system, to look at other farm systems, to kind of think about where this team is going. So in an odd way, even without baseball, of course, this is the answer from Danny. I, the answer is still kind of baseball, <laughs> still diving back into that. Yeah, I've seen there's been there's been some uh, action on the show as well, from what I've seen on uh, on some of your Twitter <laughs> yeah. posts. You've yeah, been, definitely you've been working definitely, hard on the show. Definitely some video games and you know doing the rosters and, and all that. Can't can't say that that has not been a big part of it. 
Yeah. And I don't want to make turn this into a video game um, conversation, but when lockdown kicked in in the UK, which was in March time, I, I was like, right, what am I going to do? Similar to you, like, how do I kind of keep baseball happening <laughs> in this household? Mm-hmm. So I went and bought a PlayStation. I didn't have one. I went and bought one because that was the only route to, to get the show. I bought the PlayStation to play the show. So it's been the first time I've ever played it, really. And uh, what I can say is, and testify, and I've seen this on, on Twitter too, it's hard. It's a hard <laughs> game. Um, and I guess in, in many ways it's real life because <laughs> baseball and hitting baseballs is hard too, particularly when there's good pitching. So anyway, um, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed a lot of the videos you've been putting up on, on the show. But like I said, let's not deviate into video games um, <laughs> too soon. Uh, and I, I, I guess, Danny, you, you perhaps summarized and going into this podcast, what I was thinking really was when I want to talk to Danny Martinez, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about big themes. I want to talk about the holistic view of the Marlins franchise. You know, those are the things that, that I want to spend our time talking about because I know you spend so much time thinking about those things. So it's great for us to, I guess, get your view on you know, some of those big themes some of them you already mentioned, but, you know, i.e., where's the farm system at? Where is it in comparison to other systems? Um, but secondary to that, the point you made, you know, where's this, where's this franchise going? You know, let's start there. From a build perspective, you know, where, where are we at at the moment in your, in your view? I would say we're ready to turn the corner, if I'm being honest. Uh, I think in a 162-game season – this would have still very much been a rebuild year. And, and, and this is still a rebuild year, but there's some creativity, there's some hope that maybe we could talk about later when it's just 60, 60 games. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, we're ready to turn that corner. Whether turning the corner means prospects coming up and debuting, top prospects like a Sanchez, um, like a Jesus Sanchez that we're seeing, or a Sixto Sanchez on the mound, like a Monte Harrison, seeing these prospects that we've heard so much about that we've assessed that we have been quote unquote hyping and for some minimizing for so long now we can see them at an empty marlins park or an empty philly stadium or you know whatever the case is with the fans but actually get to see them play baseball and i think start to crack open or creak open that competitive window that many people in south florida and all across the world are waiting for the Marlins to eventually get back into. So I would say we're turning the corner. Well, well summarized on, on the prospect side, you know, some of the guys you've mentioned who bear in mind, we spoke kind of at the deadline, give or take last time. So there was still, you know, there was new guys being added to the system. Plus we've had a draft since we'll dive into the draft shortly, but going into the season now, who, who's kind of, I guess, risen, quicker than maybe you'd anticipated from a, like a prospect perspective. So my favorite guy, I'm pretty sure if we go back and listen to our conversation last time, we spent a lot of time on, on jazz Chisholm mm-hmm. and you know, that shock factor of, I would have never expected Zach Gallen to be the piece that's gone, but wow. Now you brought this superstar ceiling coming back. And I'm not sure if the shock factor of Chisholm overshadowed the incredible deal of picking up a Lewin Diaz in, in the Twins move. Um, I was adamant, and, and this is like where I pat myself on the back a little bit, but going a year and a half back, I wanted him to be the Rule 5 draft pick for the Marlins. I wanted Lewin Diaz in the Marlins system. And there I am in Aruba in my honeymoon, and someone taps me on the shoulder, then yells a Marlins fan, and they tell me, oh, you guys just made a trade. Sergio Romo is gone. And it's Lewin Diaz. That to me and what he did when he came over, that's the prospect that's risen. That's the prospect I'm most excited for. Mm, I, you're right. And if you've been watching my Twitter feed this last, I don't know, 10 days, uh, I'm, I've been the same. I've been, I, I've just seen it and thought, wow, this, this guy's ready to rock and roll um, right now. And I think, I guess, um, you know, we're, we're we're going very kind of here and now in this one, but the way things have, have played out with some of the guys that have gone on to the 10-day the, the IL yesterday, um, you know, all of a sudden, 
the pathways there, I think, for, for Lewin to come in and crack the 30-man right now. I think, I think that looks probable. What, what about you? Do you think he can do, he's yeah. going to make the 30? I would definitely say it's possible. Mm. I mean, with the implementation of the DH in this shortened season, which that's actually a fun conversation we could have too if, if we have mm -hmm. time, whether we want that to stick around or not. But with that implementation and with the fact that Joyce specifically is one of the guys on the IL, you need someone who's going to be kind of a platoon bat or a DH bat. It might be a Lewin Diaz. Now, I'm not sure that I would say I'm confident that that would be the case, but I am confident that he would be able to hold his own. There's something about his swing. We saw it when he came over in the second half, all the numbers that he was able to put up with the Marlins. I think he's someone who would be ready right now, the first day right there at Phillies, to be able to step into a lineup. Will they start the service time is a different question. Mm -hmm. Is it wise to start the service time in a 60-game season where the Marlins have one of the worst strength of schedules in all of baseball? I don't know. But when we're talking about just pure on-field talent, I think it's probable that he'd be able to succeed at this level. Yeah. I, do you know, the service time piece is, is really interesting. Um, you're completely right. If the Marlins, if they don't need to start the clock, or, or the normal or natural view would be the Marlins aren't going to start the clock on these guys. There's no point in a 60-game season. Just play your guys. You get the extra year you know, when, you, when you can use them for 162 next year. But the sense I get from the Marlins is that they truly believe that there's an opportunity to do some damage here. And I get the sense that they want to put their best lineup out there, irrespective of service time, whether that actually plays out is another thing. And I'm, maybe I'm just a naive media guy. Now, now I'm hearing the guys talking. I'm maybe I'm just <laughs> up everything they're serving. They're serving everything up to me. And I'm there going, yeah, yeah, of course. Why not us? The Marlins, <laughs> they're going to do it. But yeah. And then we'll get to opening <laughs> day. Next, next thing is, None of the none of the prospects are, are on the thirty man, and yeah, we're into service time. But I don't know. I just the vibe I get is it's it's possible. I get I get the sense they just want to put their guest, best guys out there and just give it a go and see what happens. But hey, time will tell on that one. Let's let's talk, Danny. You're right. Let's talk about the DH. I'm I'm intrigued to get your your take on on I guess the future in that space. Whether you're whether you're a, a, a pro DH guy or an anti DH guy, I don't know. I'm interested to get get your take on that one yeah so i i am a pro dh guy so i'm sorry for everyone right away that's just rolling their eyes at that i believe <laughs> that um this is an error that goes back multiple decades and it has to be fixed uh it, there's actually a very interesting story i think maybe it was the owner of the phillies i'm not sure the decade but it was the owner of the phillies or maybe the giants when they were voting he was going to vote yes to bring the dh to the nl and something happened where the, the delegate that he sent didn't make it on time or whatever the case is. And the vote was not held for that one individual. And then the following year, they denied it. And we are still stuck with no DH in the NL because one person missed one meeting. I think it's time to fix that. <laughs> I think that um, I love pitchers that hit. It's great to see the rare occurrence, but it's a rare occurrence for a reason. Um, the economics of baseball as well. I want another position player to be able to have another salary, to have another chance. Um, I'm not as big on the people that say, oh, when hitters, when pitchers hit, they might get hurt. That's probably even less frequent than pitchers hitting home runs. So I'm not worried about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just think there's, there's a value economically and there's a value of excitement as point proven by the fact that we are talking about Lewin Diaz possibly being in playing which would never happen if the DH was not in place at the moment. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely a pro DH guy, but if you are an anti DH guy, I'm good with listening to that. <laughs> well, this is an interesting one. Now, now we're into this subject. Um, <laughs> I think I've been out there saying, it's a good question. I, your points are completely valid. There's, there's no getting away from that. They're, they're very valid. And I'm, I'm glad you called out the, the injury-related one for pitchers because I, I'm, not on, I'm not on board with that one. I think that's just smoke around it. The reality is pitching is more dangerous than, than actually pitchers hitting. So, um, you know, that's, that's what actually you know, creates injuries. But 
Uh, for me, it was the strategic bit. That was the angle that I was, that was nagging away at me. And I think that hearing Donnie talk, that's the bit that's been nagging at him. It's having the strategic, the, the, the flexibility to, to kind of make decisions based on, you know, who's coming up, where are they in the lineup, what's, you know, who's hitting what. You know, it, it kind of takes that away. And that's the bit that kind of nags away from me. Everyone last year was losing their minds when this minimum three batter for, for relievers came in and all oh, the strategy behind that goal disappears and all that type of stuff. And, you know, really this, the DH has a much, much wider strategic impact to the game. And there's not really any of that coming out, probably because like the points you're bringing out, they probably outweigh it, the excitement, the economic options and opportunities for players perhaps outweigh it. So I guess, Danny, what that means is I'm on the fence. <laughs> I'm on the <laughs> fence. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm easy about it. I think I'm a realist, though. I think that's what I am. I'm, real, I'm realistic about where we're at with this one. And I'd be very surprised if, um, if it isn't part of the, the, the 2021 CBA deal, if indeed that happens. Um, so, and like you said, if it means this year you get to see a Lewin Diaz because the opportunity's there, normally it wouldn't be there because you've got Aguilar and, and Cooper Loop already blocked in at first base. There's no, you know, he's blocked. Um, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, okay, you, can't, you could carry a Lewin and, you know, cycle the guys at first base a bit more. Yeah, I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll add very quickly, your point is probably the best point out of all of them. So the point of it takes away from the strategy. If, if we were to weigh both the pros and the anti points of takes away from the strategy, a strategy, the economy, it gives more chance, whatever the case is, I think yours actually weighs the most. I just think the combination of the other ones outweigh just that point. Um, because I, I agree with your point. I think we are going to see a dumbed down version of NL managing. I really do. Mm. I think we're not going to have those complexities that we would typically have where fans that are true fans of the game are thinking three, four, five, six hitters ahead because the pitcher's coming up. That's the biggest impact here. Yeah. And yet I think it's not worth, and I, I'm with you just reality based. I don't think anything of that would be worth to not put it in. So very much with you. I might even be a little bit on the fence, but I think the reality is just going to happen. Good. Well, we're agreed on that one. So uh, you're allowed back on this podcast for, for next time. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, listen, just, just talking about, I mean, it, uh, there's so many themes for us to get into, um, which is very exciting. Um, but one I'll, I'll just kind of touch upon now. Now we're talking about, I guess, DH, more batters in the lineup, let's say. Just what's your view on the, on the James Rousen hire um, for what is a, I'm not, I'm not sure his official title, but how it's been described to me is, offensive coordinator which I kind of like I think it's kind of cool but mm -hmm. what are you seeing from him what are you excited about in terms of what he can bring well first off you, you got the title right right he's he's a hitting coach but he's an offensive coordinator he's an assistant he, he seems to have been part of a very innovative hiring process by this new ownership group which I think is something to highlight this is the first time we have a quote-unquote offensive coordinator mm. in baseball and, and thank goodness that it's Rousen. He is one of, the, one of the pieces of this coaching staff that I was most excited for moving forward this year. And quite frankly, if we're looking into the future a little bit here, I think he's going to be the next manager of the Marlins. I, I really do. I think Donnie is here and he can ride it out as long as he wants to. I hope he sees through this rebuild because I think he deserves that. However, I do think that the successor is already in play in Rousen, and we're already starting to see these tidbit and these quotes from players like Anisan Diaz or Amante Harrison talking about his impact. That impact is no longer just limited to major league level, but because he's this offensive coordinator and he has an offensive philosophy that goes across the different chains and the different you know, minor league systems, it is now a Miami Marlins impact where the next prospect, whether it's Jupiter or from wherever else, comes up, he already knows what the offensive game plan is, what the hitter approach is, what the system is. And that's why I applaud heavenly this incredibly innovative hire and the fact that it was Rousen is just the, the, the tip of the cake 
or just the thing that really makes it a sold piece um, for this Marlin system. It's, it's one of the best additions that we've had this last year. Absolutely. I'm, I'm totally with you on this one, Danny, I must say. I mean, I heard him talk, first time I heard him talk in any depth was on um, Seven Geff Live, which was an awesome show. Um, well done to those guys for, for making that one happen. But when that episode in particular, I think was my favorite. I'd, I'd not heard him speak before, but I came away just completely blown away just by his philosophy, the way he talks. I was just completely bought in. Anyway, he was on the, the, the Marlin Zoom call a few days back. Uh, again, you know, every time you hear him talk, he's just talking about doing damage. <laughs> I absolutely love it. You know, he just, you know, it feels to me like he's just the perfect piece for the perfect time, perhaps for the perfect team. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But I'm, I'm like, I'm very, very excited. Just, and I'm going to kind of use this as a slight segue now. This wasn't planned, but, you know, it's what we do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just we're going to get into some draft pieces and some farm pieces. And the way to segue into that, I think, is talking about hires and, um, I guess, front office guys or whatever. DJ Spillick, how good is he? Just amazing. <laughs> Just amazing. And, and I, I give the credit to Craig Mish here. Craig Mish is really the guy that's been on top of all the impact DJ has. Because it's funny, right? When you think of DJ, you think of Derek Jeter. And I'm sure everyone else does when you're talking about the Marlins and DJ, but this is the guy who might truly be laying the foundation for the future. I'm sure that Jeter has a, a lot of obvious input in the way that this team is situated today, the way it's situated in five seconds from now, and the way it's situated 10 years from now. But DJ seems to be, I don't want to say the brain, but it, it does. It seems to be the brain of the operations when we're looking at the future, when we're looking at scouting, when we're looking at drafting. And if you ever hear or you ever get the chance to ask Craig about this, he will not stop talking about him with good reason. He deserves the praise. And we've started to see that not only with the drafting philosophy, but the, the combination of drafts, even the combination of balance in this farm system where baseball America will call this one of the most balanced farm systems in baseball. It's not just hitting. It's not just pitching. You have incredible talent from top to bottom on both sides of the field. And a lot of that is a testament to DJ. Yeah. Just, just give me a sense of, I don't know, excitement or if that's the right word, but just, just talk me through. You, you, you look back at the, the 2020 draft from the Marlins and to take six arms with their six picks. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Um, what about you? What was your view on that one? I mean, I was rooting for it to be four or four and five or five and a hundred percent. As soon as we started to see that trend, you know, the reality is people will talk all about different picks and, and who should be the pick and whatever the case is. And, and truly 95% of us were wrong going into this. Not many people had Max Meyer as the first pick for the Marlins. And then we learn a little bit more about Max and we see what DJ is selling us and we start to put the picture together. And then, of course, as we start to get pitcher and pitcher and pitcher, let's all be honest, we don't know who the fifth round, you know, who, who the fifth pick is going to be. We don't have necessarily preference that late in the draft because we're not scouts and we haven't sat with them. But heck, yeah, I wanted another pitcher. Give me all of the pitchers. Me give too. me a Meyer. Me give me a Nicholas. Give me, you know, Daxton, who's a great pick for what it's worth. Give me all the pitchers, especially after a heavy hitter draft last year. Yeah, I, I was the same. Like, as soon as it got into, you know, four picks in, all arms, just for flair. I just wanted to see six. I wanted to see 100% arms. And I know you were just saying about a balanced system. <laughs> it was an unbalanced draft. But the reason we were able to do that was, well, it was a unique draft, firstly. So all conventional wisdom is out the window. You've got a unique draft and a unique situation. So that's out the window. But what you, what you highlighted then was last year was, was a hitter heavy draft. You know, we were targeting college ready power or college power. That's, that's probably a better way of describing it. And that's mainly the direction or the general theme. So they've kind of then balanced it out this year, I guess, with, you know, just arms upon arms of loads more arms that are already there. So <laughs> it was, 
it was exceptional. Just you mentioned Dax. You've already mentioned Max and Dax. I've been out there saying that one-two punch for me was just exceptional. I, when I took a step back, I'm not a scout, and I haven't spent any time scouting any of these guys in advance. But when you take time after it to go and analyze and understand, at that point you're like, wow, this one-two punch that you know the the third and fortieth pick, whatever it was. Looks beautiful to me. What about you? Beautiful is the right word. And again, innovative. See, whether they saved a lot with Max or not, it was clear that he was their he was their top guy. And and we all had well, we all had Ace Lacy there, or maybe an Austin Martin, which was a bat if you know if he fell. But Max Meyer was their guy. They stuck to their convictions. And then they get with their next pick someone who would have easily been a first round pick if he had not had his injury concerns. And he's yours now. Now he's part of a major league system, a professional system. You get to train him correctly. He gets to work, although, of course, in this COVID era, that's very different right now. But he gets to work with major league trainers, major league strength conditioning. And you basically stole another first round pick. Mm-hmm. Now he's a prep arm. It's going to take some time. This has the flavor of a, of a Trevor Rogers or a Braxton Garrett type of timeline to get to the major leagues. But in such extreme polarities, so Max Meyer, a college pitcher who could probably pitch in the majors right now and already got added to the 60-man roster, and then Daxton, who many might consider a project, but with a ace or number two, number three type ceiling, who will take some time. That's an organization showing you right off the bat in their draft, we don't have necessarily one comfort zone. We go and we get the players we have high on our board. And then we will deal with the scrutiny or we will deal with the concerns. And quite frankly, to wrap up this point, they've earned the cachet. When you look at the Marlins and this ownership group, they know how to develop pitchers. We could talk about hitters. There's some question marks there. But when we're talking about pitching, this is the organization knows how to develop them. So I have no doubt that Max and Daxton will be a pertinent part of this team's future moving forward. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, and on, the, on the hit inside, I mean, it comes back to the point we were talking about earlier, where then you bring in a James Rousen who, you know, takes maybe that development cycle to a new level too. So you address that. And I mean, he's got the tools to work with as well. I feel like the guys, those top end guys in particular, really fit the profile for, you know, why, where James Rousen can eke value and add developmental value on. So really excited to see see how that one goes. Not, this isn't a negative question. It's just a question we need to ask of ourselves right now. From a farm system perspective, and, and once, we've done, once we've answered this, we'll get into maybe some of the pitches and some of the rotation bits. I'm really intrigued to get your take on that. But in terms of the farm, what's missing now? Like where, where are the weaknesses that we think we may need to address going forward next draft or two as we continue in this, on this path? Well, I love, I love this question because I'm going to turn it around on you a bit and I'm going to give you the strengths and we're going to find ourselves some weaknesses. Ready? So awesome. we, we have different organizational rankings, whether it's Pipeline or Fangraphs or Baseball America. And there's a pretty strong consensus that we have, I think it was Pipeline that did like top 10 position groups, right? So what, what top 10 organizations in specific groups and they ranked them. I believe the Marlins were top 10 in right-handed pitching, which makes sense with a Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera, a Max Meyer now, those type of individuals such as Nick Niter. I believe they were also top 10 in left-handed pitching with Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett and some of the younger prep arms as well. They were top 10 in outfield, makes, makes sense, Monte Harrison, Jesus Sanchez, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the strengths. We know there's no weaknesses there. Then you get into the infield and you say, well, third base, there's really not, uh, there's not many uh, prospects there in third base. You look at like a Julian Fuentes or a Nick Reddy, and they're intriguing, but not the guys that you would ever think are going to reach even top 100 pedigree status. But then you look at your middle infield and it's crucial because no one's going to put the Marlins middle infield in top 10. Because the talent there is Jazz Chisholm, and then it's a bunch of young guys like Jose Salas, Ian Lewis, guys to that extent, Nassim Nunez, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the catch. 
Derek Jeter and DJ and Mike Hill have said for quite some time we are targeting middle infielders because talent is at its highest at center field, shortstop, and catcher. But right now we're just talking about necessarily, let's say, center field and shortstop. Because what can happen there? Well, you generalize to other positions. So a Jose Devers can actually go from shortstop to second base. A Jose Salas, which is one of the top prospects that is not being spoken about right now, he does have that top 100 pedigree. Let's move him to third. He's a pretty big guy. He's like a Carlos Correa type of body for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Anasi Nunez, you can move him to second. All of a sudden, what might look like a weakness is no longer a weakness, but a strength. And, and then you move over to first base and you have a Lewin Diaz, you have an Evan Edwards, you have talent there, um, starting, of course, with Diaz. So what does that leave? That leaves the catching position. And in the catching position, it's not like you're exactly barren. You have one of the best defensive gloves in minor league baseball in Will Banfield. He also has some good pop, but obviously the bat needs to pick up a little bit. You have a very good receiver in Nick Forte. You have talent there, but you don't have that top echelon prospect talent. That's where I would say you go. You go get Adele Castillo from the University of Miami or another college catcher who has a similar ETA to Will Banfield, and then you're set. Then you don't have any weaknesses in this farm system. Wow, I mean, way to round it off. There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a route to no weaknesses in the system, which says a lot. I mean, where, where are you seeing, uh, you know, take the Marlins fan hat off if you can. Um, <laughs> but when you, I guess, look at this more objectively, um, where do you truly believe the Marlins system is right now um, overall? Well, I, I think a good way to do that is to look at the places that do claim to be objective, right? We look at fan graphs, we look at Baseball America, we look at Pipeline, Prospects 1500, whatever the case is, you want to look at those because you're right, we are at the end of the day Marlins fans. At the moment, the Marlins have a consensus top 10 farm system across the board there. The, the, the variety or the range per se is that some places, I believe like Pipeline, has it as high as number four. Some places like Baseball America, I believe, has it as low as number eight. So you're looking at this range of a top 10 consensus farm system with some diversity in where these objective scouting locations are placing them. And if then you ask me, because these rankings would be prior to the draft, I think Max Meyer and I think the development of Lewin Diaz and the development of Jazz Chisholm over the last half year puts you in that top five conversation. I'd be surprised if Baseball America doesn't have them a little higher than eight, whether it's five or six or whatever the case is. Pipeline probably keeps around three or four. I say you have objectively a top five farm system in all of baseball, which is a wonderful thing for the future. Absolutely. I mean, I've only followed the Marlins since 2016. And um, the, the view I've had is that the Marlins system for many, many years has, has not been great. And uh, particularly at the, I guess, the end of uh, the Loria era um it was it was you know maybe 29th or 30th it was kind of it had bottomed out and um you know the the level of prospect just really wasn't there so it, it's been painful in many ways as, as a fan for me to, to kind of come into this team following them as a, as a as an everyday fan see the guys that hooked me in you know like a Giancarlo and a D Gordon and you know Jose Fernandez etc but you know it, the team was completely pulled apart and rebuilt from the bottom up. And it's hard to see that, you know, as, as a fan, but really it's, it's incredible. It's incredibly exciting. Like right now, sitting here right now with, you know, a 60 game sprint upon us and, you know, a top five farm system. There's, I don't think there's any getting away from that. I think it is a top five system. Um, and you can tell, I mean, you get the sense that the national media don't, want to give the Marlins much love generally, but they kind of have to now. So that to me kind of verifies that, yeah, it is, it is a top five system, um, which is exciting. Um, let's, let's have a quick talk about this 60 game sprint. <laughs> and actually just let, let's kind of lead into that with, 
off-season acquisitions because I think the you know okay, the farm was added to and was developing and has been added to since, but I think the Marlins made some nice moves in the off-season. Um, obviously, they planned for a one-six-two um, season, but they they made some moves that I think look nice. Like for me, the headline one was was the VR move, the Jonathan VR move. For me, I mean, the dude is just he's just a top baseball player, but what's your view on, on the guys they picked up? I mean, really we've got VR, we've got Aguilar, Dickerson, two-year deal, Kinsler picked up, um, Sterling Sharp, rule five, Yimmy Garcia picked up. Um, you know, I've probably missed some others, but you know, what was your sense in terms of the moves they made to kind of give them a chance to do something right now? I think the moves they made are what allow us to say, why not us in a season like this? You know, you made the joke that maybe you're just new to the media or, or, or naive or whatever the case is, which for what it's worth, you're definitely not. I'm, I love following what you guys do and you guys have done an amazing job with this. And the fact that you're now, you know, basically credentialed and asking the players, it's well-deserved. Um, so just know that, but you made that joke, right? Like the players are always going to give us, you know, hoorah, type of conversation and so are the coaches you know I don't know I I I say why not us as well in a 162 season maybe not in a 60 game sprint even with the hardest strength of schedule in baseball why not and and that comes from adding a Corey Dickerson that you could put at the top and at the middle of your lineup that comes from the hope that Jesus Aguiar becomes that all-star form that he was just a year removed not last year but the season prior that comes from wise additions, even like Matt Joyce, someone that gets incredibly overlooked when we're talking about off-season additions and unfortunately will not be able to start the season off with the team because he's on the IL. He, for the platoon bat that he is, dominates his side of the pitching. That's, that's the type of veteran presence that number one knows how to win and number two is specialized at what he does at the highest capacity. When you add players like that, and then you already have a Brian Anderson in-house and the pitching staff that we can discuss in a second as well. It's not foolish. It's not naive. It's not just a hoorah. No, this team played well above 500 ball for about 45 games last year in the middle of the year, if we remember that. Mm-hmm. If for whatever reason, with the addition of all the players we just mentioned, they can pull that for 60 games. Well, this year, you also then have a Jesus Sanchez coming up and Alewin Diaz, and that elite farm system that we keep talking about, like if it's a dream, now they walk into Marlins Park. And if this club is playing 500, and you're bringing those guys up, there's no reason why it's naive to think, why not us? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do love that. I mean, that was, that soundbite came from the first ever call that I'd ever joined. Uh, with, and it was Michael Hill addressing the media to kind of kick things off. First call I joined, pretty much the first question that was asked and answered directly from Micah Hill, that was the answer he gave, you know, why not us? And I was like, wow, <laughs> what, a, what a start to, to Marlins media in, uh, in 2020, <laughs> you know. I was like, and then I was pondering to myself thinking, am I allowed to tweet this out? Am I, what am I allowed to do here? I actually didn't know what I could do. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and, and he, he knows it best, right, because he's the GM. And let me say something that might be a little controversial, but I don't think so. You give me this roster right now, okay? And here's where we'll get some eye rolls, but just work with me. You give me this roster right now and give me the, let's say, the softest strength of schedule, just to use another extreme. I would be calling this a right on the crisp of a playoff team because there's enough talent there. You give me this roster and you give me even an average strength of schedule over 60 seasons and or 60 games and I tell you this is a 500 team who could surprise now it gets a little harder to be realistic and say okay we're going to make the playoffs we're going to compete when yes it's still technically a rebuild and now you have the hardest strength of schedule but the why not us comes from the fact that Hill and Derek Jeter and company built a competent roster a, a full roster not three superstars and no depth or pitching no, we have solid pitching, we have solid depth, and we have an elite farm system. Maybe the 60-game season is 
a nice little bounce off into our competitive window. Maybe it's not, and it's just another rebuilding year, which we all expected anyway. But absolutely, why not us? And I love that that was the first time that you were in a Zoom meeting. Absolutely, let's keep ringing that because it's it's simply the case. It is true. Yeah, it was great. Listen, I, I need to go back and reference our last conversation uh, again. And actually, what I haven't mentioned, I should have done already, and I'm, I'm sorry I haven't, but um, Fish Across the Pond, you know, we get you know, a good chunk of listeners um, per, per episode, and, it, and it's great. The Miguel Rojas episode, as you'd expect, was, has been the most listened to episode we've ever done, which is understandable. But mm-hmm. in the two spot was our conversation, Danny. So what that says <laughs> to me is, you know, the, the, the guys out there in, in Marlin's podcasting world love your opinions and, uh, and, and your insights. So it's great to talk again. So I, I sh- apologies, I should have said that at the top. It is still in the number two spot. Um, there's a couple that are coming, you know, are starting to press that, uh, that we've done recently because of, I guess, the, the level of engagement and guests that we've managed to, to get on board and come and talk on, on this podcast. But you're still there proudly at number two. But anyway... <laughs> One of the players that we talked last time, which was very topical, was Isan Diaz because he just had that showreel moment, uh, including his family, <laughs> which was absolutely incredible. And I'd just like to get your take on Isan specifically in terms of where, where we see him at the moment. Rousen in particular was just all in on Isan when I asked him directly about that the other day. But I just want to get your take on him and, and where you see things at the moment. You know, is it make or break or is it just, you know, development curve? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Isan did phenomenally last year in, in the minor leagues, right? He was an all-star and he was um, pretty close to breaking even offensive records in the minor leagues. And we all got very excited for his call-up, understandably so, a top 100 prospect lefty swing beautiful swing looking like robinson cano in the box with good pop and solid glove and then he gets called up and we have this amazing debut where i believe it was a doubleheader in new york and in the second game you know his dad is on the on the call and they're interviewing him with craig who always does a great job and he hits the home run and it starts off in such a beautiful fashion and then it was just a bit of a letdown right i think part of it was because there was so much hype moving forward um, but also, he had to adjust. He had to adjust. And, and I, Rosen, Rosen mentions this, but when you look at some of his splits, and actually, I'm not sure if James mentioned this, but I'm going to mention this. Um, when you look at some of his splits, I'm trying to find them here very quickly, but if not, I'll reference it on a, on a general level. You could have some splits like two outs or a runner in scoring position or uh, you know, a full count or whatever the case is. What we saw with Isan was in situations where the hitter just has to hit, like he has two strikes on him, he has to protect, or there's a man on third or a man on second, and he just has to survive. Isan played well above average in the batter's box. There were splits where he was hitting over 300, where his uh, you know weighted runs created was over 100. And then yet, there were other splits where when Isan could get in his head, where it wasn't a, I'm on the, my back's on the corner, I need to just survive, nowhere where he was ahead in the count, or where it was oh oh or whatever the case is, it seemed like the, the, the cycling thoughts in his head got in the way. And we saw weak contact that we did not see at the minor league level. We saw, you know, a high ground ball rate. We saw a lot of swing and miss. We saw a lot of um, swinging outside of the zone, which we did not see in the minor leagues. He was a different hitter. I'm not sure if that's simply the adjustment. I'm not sure if that's the stress of having hype of being a top 100 prospect and called up. But we saw something different than Isan. And, and the reason I'm emphasizing that is because we did not see the Isan that we saw in the minor leagues fail, which meant, oh, his talent is not generalizable over to the major leagues. No, we saw him fail to adjust, and we saw a different type of hitter, which is why when Rousen now comes back and says, I want him to be that aggressive again, I want him to be in his mind but under control, so not guessing different pitch locations, different swing locations, but actually having a game plan before setting up at the plate, that gives me confidence that we're going to see the AAA. 
Isan Diaz, that we're going to see that potential middle of the order back. And I wish I had the splits in front of me. I might just send it out on Twitter later so that someone can come back and look at it. But yeah, I saw a rookie who was nervous and probably in his head a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing, hopefully, with James Rousen, a developed, maturing hitter who does not get led by the pitcher, but steps into that batter's box with a game plan and with a sense of calmness so that he can let that beautiful lefty swing do the damage that it needs to do. There you go. There's that word again. There's that, there's that James Rousen word of damage, doing damage. <laughs> there's another hashtag there, all, all teed up, ready to go. <laughs> Listen, we, we, need to, we need to talk about the major league pitching. We have to. Um, and we have to talk about the main man at the moment, Sandy. Um, already named opening day starter. Um, what's your view on Sandy in terms of his development? You know, last year and how big how big a leap did he did he take? I mean, I think that a lot of people minimize the fact that he was an all star. They think that it was you know by default because the Marlins didn't have enough talent. I disagree. I think Sandy put up enough solid numbers that he could have been an all star on a different team. And most importantly, any time that you went to the park. And I'm assuming the hitters understand this too, whether they say it or not. And Sandy was pitching. You felt like you were going to be in the game. You know, we, we, we have this, we have actually two pitchers, which is interesting because I'll bring Pablo Lopez into this. Pablo Lopez, number one, apparently Mel Stoudemire, the pitching coach today said, oh, he's a changed man. He's a different man. And Donnie's been ringing his praises. So I think we're going to see a very good Pablo this year. And I'm very high on Pablo. But something that happened with Pablo last year is sometimes you'd go to the games and the game would be over by the third inning right? He might, he might be giving you the guy that's going to give you a no-hitter, or he's giving up six, seven runs. There's something about Pablo's inconsistency that scared you as a fan. For all the talk that Sandy, as a prospect, was going to be inconsistent, that's not what we saw. Mm. With Sandy, we started to see someone who was pounding the strike zone a bit more. If on the offensive side, we're preaching do damage, Donnie kept preaching to Sandy, be aggressive. Your stuff is better than theirs. You are not going to get hit. You are not going to get smacked. Stay in the zone, and you're going to pull out more games than you're going to lose. You're going to send them back to the bench more times, and they're going to send the ball out to the outfield or over the fence. And Sandy bought into it. Sandy bought into it. We saw consistency. We saw success, which led to him being an all-star and now being the opening day guy. And my hope is that Pablo, that's what we're seeing now with the tidbits that are coming out of training camp, that he's now going to take that exact same step of being aggressive and being the next Sandy. And that's, that's the vibe coming out of, of camp, right? I think that's what you're alluding to, that in the sim games and what people are seeing, uh, and I've heard it too, Donnie's spoken, spoken about it. It's, you know, Pablo is looking dangerous, very dangerous. So I'm excited for that too. And, you know I'm a big Pablo guy, and the guys on, on the podcast, you know, it's whenever we talk about which pitcher, this and that, they look at me and they go, yeah, you're going Pablo, right? Yep. I'm like, yep. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at his bobblehead staring back at me, actually. So, yeah, this is maybe getting a bit too much. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, those two guys, I think you're right to put them in the right bracket, yeah, the, sorry, the same bracket, because I see the same, the same, floor and ceiling in some ways with those guys like they can both be elite guys it's just a cons aggressiveness and consistency piece and sandy kind of took that step a little bit last year and you know pablo dealt with this with an injury again and i think that's the main concern with pablo when we think of him it's the trend is there but i'm like you i i, I love i love what's there to work with just, just on, just kind of going a little bit deeper into the rotation. Jose Arania. I mean, he's had an interesting ride the last what two years, let's say. Um, he has been opening day starter the previous two seasons. Mm -hmm. He's spent time as the closer. He started slow last year for sure, and then got really hot. Then got hurt. Then was the closer. Now it sounds like he's back and doing well. Where, where, where do you sit on Jose? I mean, 
he's been a real mixed bag, I think, is fair to say. Yeah, I think that Urania and I are always on the wrong beat with each other. <laughs> I think I'm always wrong on Urania. I'm serious. As, as a young guy coming up, couldn't stop ringing his praises. I thought that this was going to be someone who you could situate right there in the two, three, maybe the four spot. And it just really did not click. And, and interestingly enough, the way we talk about Sandy, oh, you know, he was a default all-star uh, representative. Well, Urania kind of felt like the default opening day guy most often. Like he's, he's, he's a little older. He's been in the rotation. He has a little bit more experience. And then he struggles a little bit. And he gets moved to the pen, and oh my goodness, I was so excited, right? And like I said, I'm always offbeat with him. I, I thought this was going to be it. I thought we were going to finally unlock that talent that he has, especially in shorter stints where he, his arm, the liveliness might not fatigue the same way it would as, as a starter. And then, of course, again, I was offbeat, so that didn't work. And now they moved him back. I, I might sound like not the biggest Jose Urania fan here, my true ob objective thought here is that's great. Let's see if he plays well. Let's see if he is someone that they might consider um, trading, quite frankly, as a veteran, because you have so much immense pitching talent coming up that, goodness gracious, it's hard to imagine a 2022, a 2021 starting rotation where Urania is on it. Now, mm -hmm. I'm offbeat with him, right? I, I've disclosed this. So watch him be the ace going into next year or the following year. But my thought process is eventually this is someone you move into a long pen arm kind of um, emergency game pickup uh, pitcher. Or if he really shows that he has this bit about him, then into high leverage pen arm. But I can't imagine him sticking in the rotation when Sixto Sanchez is coming and Edward Cabrera and Max Meyer next to you. This isn't someone who's going to take a long time, as well as the other, like Nick Nider and Robert Duggar. And the list goes on and on and on of top echelon, um, top shelf pitching prospects. So I don't know. Jose and I dance to a different beat. I I'm never quite right with him. So if this sounds negative, maybe he's going to be the next Cy Young that that's going to come out of nowhere. But I think that's probably someone of a placeholder that we're hoping to get some value from and then hoping that he is, is a good leader for the young guys coming up. Yeah. Well, as you've been talking away, I, I've been looking and checking out Cy Young um, winner odds for the 2021 <laughs> season. I feel like there's, this is time to cash in on, on yes. this one. It might be. <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting. Arania, I, I love his personality. I, I, I love this, the confidence he exudes on the mound. And actually, the one thing I was watching back the other night was this whole um, this Acuna situation and how that played out. And I rewatched that a couple of times and got me kind of pumped for, for playing the Braves. But we've been trying to move Arania, seemingly. And I say we've been trying to move. That's, that's the reports anyway, is they've been trying to move Arania in, in a couple of trade deadlines the last couple of seasons. It hasn't happened. He's, he's had a bit of a yo-yo kind of career at, at, at the Marlins. But, you know, in, in, I'm really intrigued to see. But I think, like you've highlighted, there's, there's a lot of arms coming. So something will have to change. It's, it's, it's unlikely that he'll be in the rotation in 20, 2022. Definitely. You know, very unlikely. But... Um, just, just one guy you mentioned then uh, uh, we do need to talk about as well and then I'll look to get you out of here because um, uh, I think we're, we could go on forever but, but <laughs> let's, let's have a quick talk about Sixto because there's not been I'm just in, I'm, well I'm not going to lead the witness on this one just give me the sense of, of Sixto kind of since joining the Marlins and, and how you've seen that progressing thus far if that makes any sense yeah of course well it's interesting he comes into camp and he he doesn't look the part this year um not this camp but the first try at camp actual spring training camp people were making jokes um whether that's appropriate or not about his weight and then the way that he came in and and whatever the whatever the case might be and, and that has fixed itself if, if it was an issue at any point um in this second go ahead of camp but the reason i bring that up is because it seems that when anyone tries to assess Sixto Sanchez, 
in a very similar fashion to Max Meyer, they can't get past the height and they can't get past the build. For whatever reason, it's the fact that, oh, he's six feet or he's six one or he's 5'11", because they can't decide which one it is, and the inch apparently makes a vast difference in their, in their prospect profile. Let's, not, let's not go down that path. That could take, us, yeah. could take us in all sorts of directions. <laughs> uh, apparently so, apparently so, right? So, so they can't get past that, which is a shame, because when you get past that, you truly see someone who could be a Scion down the line. You truly begin to see at even the lowest point, a Johnny Cueto type of performance, maybe not elite Johnny Cueto window of, of, you know, being a competitor every single year for Cy Young, but you see the similarities. Now he gets, he gets comped in, in an absurd fashion to Pedro Martinez as if anyone's ever going to be Pedro Martinez. And that's again, because of the height and they wear the same number and, and a bunch of things that have nothing to do with baseball acumen and ability on the field. But the point more so is if you just dive into his numbers, and we won't go specifically into them, but if you dive into his numbers and if you dive into just his plain stuff, so I don't know if you've ever had the ability to sit and watch him live. If you do, it'll be one of the most exciting things in your life because the only thing I can compare it to, and this is a significant, significant comparison, the ball comes out of his hand like it used to with Jose Fernandez. And they're different pitchers. I'm just talking about the liveliness and the movement of his, of his, of his pitch of his pitches and his repertoire. That's the type of player that once you get past the height and once we get past the weight disparity, Sixto Sanchez can be. Someone that I have was ecstatic about, obviously, with the Ramudo trade, and you also got Alfro in that one. Someone that you could see in a year or two leading, hopefully, let's, let's just even, let's get excited. Let's say, like, starting game one of the World Series, with then Max Myers right behind him, with Eddie Cabrera right behind him. That's the type of talent that you're talking about in a Sixto Sanchez. And I hope we even see him this year. Service time be damned. I hope that he, especially with this new body that we're talking about in spring training, you know, camp two, that he gets a shot to show himself towards the end of this year because Miami's going to have a superstar as soon as they look past the measurables they're going to see the next superstar of the Marlins on that mound. There we go. I mean, what a, what a summary. <laughs> when you were talking about all the height bits, I, I don't know why my mind just kind of took me to Russell Wilson. You were talking about height and, you know, obviously not even, I mean, well, mm-hmm. he's a baseball player, but, um, you know, <laughs> isn't. Um, he's, he's, he's seemingly doing better in the NFL side, but, you know, it's one of them where you kind of had the, you know, the knock on him, but, the dude's elite. You strip it back. The dude's elite. Russell, and I think Sixto. So I'm excited. And that's why I didn't want to lead the witness in the question, Danny, was I, I, you know, it was a bit of a weird spring. The kind of in the spring, there was a bit of negativity, I think. And, you know, we didn't turn up in great shape, which, um, you know, isn't, it doesn't fill you with confidence, but, you know, that's, Mm-hmm. I think that's been sorted, let's say. And um, he's in the 60. The interesting part, and this is, you know, just on the rotation piece, you know, we've got, they're saying, and, and health aside, let's assume everyone's healthy. There's a, there's a nailed on four, uh, which is, you know, Sandy, Caleb, Pablo, Urania, in whatever order you want to, you want to play them. The, f- the fifth spot is, is, is up for grabs and there's guys vying for that. Sixto's name hasn't been mentioned in that, but uh, to date, but you know, that spot's still up for grabs, even as we get into this season, in my opinion. And like you, it'd be awesome to see him. I think we, I think everyone would want to see him. Why not? And if the Marlins are in it after 20 games, if they're, I mean, 15 and five, just throwing it out there, mm-hmm. get him in there. Right. <laughs> get him yeah. yeah i mean at some point you have to be able to say that you're going for it and that's the beauty of this organization as it is situated right now going for it no longer means giving 270 million dollars to one player it no longer means selling the future of your team like a chris paddock or Luis castillo for an aged out veteran no going for it means we are sitting on gold in the minor league system and we are going to cash in 
So absolutely, if the Marlins are in it this year, even if they're sniffing 500, you bring up these guys. Now, of course, they have to be ready, right? They have to be conditioned in, in Jupiter. And, you know, we're not going to bring someone up just to waste their arm or just to put them in harm's way. But if they are, this is, and might be the most important thing that I say today, this is the first time in a very long time that I believe the Marlins would truly go for it in the correct way. Not by hemorrhaging your future, not by destroying what you already have here or handcuffing yourself to a massive bloated backloaded contract that appeases the fans but doesn't do anything for your organization. They would go about it the right way by bringing up their guys and hopefully, because here's the question mark with this ownership that still stays, when they start to win and they're sustainable by keeping their young guys. But absolutely, absolutely, you bring up your talent, you don't sit on that gold, you utilize it. Love it. Listen, let's, let's finish up. Last time when we spoke, we had the shock-ometer because of the, the trade activity. Um, maybe uh, I may use the shock-ometer in a second, but before we get with that one, give me the, I don't even know if this is a word or how this is going to sound, but give me the excitometer. <laughs> how and because there's a lot of shit going down in the world particularly you know the u.s is you know things are not under wraps so you know truly how excited are you about this this 60 60 game sprint and the marlins being back playing baseball i mean how are you feeling about that in general one to ten (laughs) thank you for giving me the one Thank you for giving me the one to 10. I was going to start using adjectives on our excitometer, but no. So one through 10, as a Marlins baseball fan, okay? As a Marlins baseball fan, I'm going to say that I'm a seven. I'm going to say I'm a seven. I'm not saying that I'm a 10, right? 10 is going to be when we already have our prospects here and we're ready to compete and that window's open, for me at least. But seven at the moment, there's excitement, there's possibility, there's hope. As a person, it's the 10. As a person... I'm ready as long as things are being done safe to have baseball back. You know, we, we always talk about it. And I think that baseball missed a chance with all of the negotiation issues, but baseball brings as particularly this, this country, the U S brings us back from low times, whether it's nine 11, whether it's other circumstances that have happened and, and they kind of missed their chance to do this the right way. But ironically, they're still going to be the first major league back. Um, so they're still kind of bringing us back. But as a person who's just exhausted and, and doesn't have any coping skills right now to utilize and is, has to be isolated at home for the greater good of everybody else, as long as it's safe, which it seems from the latest data today, the numbers were fantastic over the last pooling of, of, um, of major league players and staff, it is a 10 P. I can't, I can't wait. I know that there's not going to be fans. They're talking about putting in, you know, uh, uh, noise from MLB the show. So like, it'll sound like a video game in the, in the parks. I, I know that they might not get as creative as I want to with them using mics and angles and cameras and all that stuff, but Holy moly, I'm ready for some taste as long as it's safe of normality and us returning and having this beautiful sport of baseball. Here, 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 my man. Um, listen, we need, I need to pull the shock armature out. I have to. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, like I said, I knew we could go on and on and on with this because there's a lot of fun talking. That's the main thing. We could, you know, we could carry on for ages. But absolutely, the shock armature, <laughs> and this may be a shock for you, but anyway, I'm I'm out there, and this this isn't directly Marlins. It's we've kind of talked about Cy Young's and it's kind of popped in my head. So I'm going to run with it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I was out there saying that my AL Cy Young winner this year for me was Nick Anderson. So <laughs> shock armature on Nick Anderson oh. taking the Cy. <laughs> my goodness. Like a hundred, a hundred, because it would be, it would be very, it would be, uh, an awful cocktail of very exciting and also Marlins fans would never stop hearing about it. <laughs> How could you trade away an MVP, an MVP and a Cy Young? So I like it. I like it. I like it. I think it would destroy my heart as a Marlins fan, but I am giving you, sir, a solid 100. 
on <laughs> Nick Anderson being the AL Cy Young. And if there's any organization that somehow would fabricate a way to do that, you know it would be the Rays. So I don't know. Now you just kind of scared me. Now I think that I'm going to actually be worried about that. He's going to be the next Christian Yelich that, we're, that we sent off and has come back to bite us. So I don't know. I don't know. That's yeah. a tough way to finish it. That's a tough way to finish it. Geez, I'm, I'm not sure that's, that's the intention there. I, I don't want to send you <laughs> off in a, with a head scratcher and with fear in. So I don't know. Let's, let's finish on a positive then because this is a positive. Um, the Marlins 2020 60 game record. How are you slicing it? <laughs> is, that a, is that a positive either? As Ready? Well? No. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like slice it right down the middle for you. So yeah. if, you, if I'm a betting man, I'm still saying like 27 and 33, 26 and 34. That's, that's what I'm saying. Trying to be objective because the strength of schedule is simply, it's, it's the hardest in baseball. They have the hardest strength of schedule in baseball. However, that's my answer. It's not kind of a confidence interval that I'm giving you here. It's not unrealistic for this team to play at 35, at 34. And if they're even close to that around the last second portion of September, then, like I said, they're sitting on that gold that might make them a 37, a 38 win team. So there's nothing that's impossible in this season. And it's the beautiful thing about a 60 game season. If I'm held to it, I'm still going to say 27 wins. That would be a massive um, upgrade when we're looking at win uh, percentage, basically, when I think 35% of the games last year. So it would still be an upgrade. It would still be a good season. But that's where I would tentatively put them. However, holding on to that, why not us? That if they start off hot, they have more than enough talent, probably more talent than anybody else, aside from the Rays and a few other farm systems in all of baseball, to help supplement and make a run to the playoffs. That feels like the right way to end this one, Danny. How about there you? you go. <laughs> have, we missed, have we missed anything? Is there, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I haven't brought up? Not at all. You're fantastic. I, 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 think, I think the point really, I, I promise you this is the point. We're excited. We're excited right now. In a year, I'm going to join you again when you are e- even much more of an immense person and well-known than you already are right now in our you know, Marlins circle. And at that point, you watch, we're going to be talking about a playoff-ready baseball team. And that's a beautiful thing to consider, especially with the way the world is now. We need something to look forward to. So Marlins fans, wait for this year. Get excited. But next year is when we're really going to start rolling. Absolutely. Oh, Danny Martinez, what a conversation. That was absolutely epic. And, I mean, how many godfathers were there? Because that's godfather part two that is godfather part book. two so we've got part three to look forward to uh you know next year looking forward to that one already um absolutely awesome danny thank you so much for for your time um we will keep in touch as as things get under under wrapped or well get started and, and the season progresses and and equally let's make sure we we make that happen next year we come back and review all these wild takes we've had. If Nick, if Nick Anderson did win the Cy and Jose Arrhenia then goes on to, to, to then take the NL Cy the year after, wow. <laughs> fantastic. Book it. Brilliant. Well, there we go. That's episode 51 in the books. Um, thanks again to Danny. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll be back very soon with, with 52.